Good morning. Please stand for the call to worship. We have been raised with Christ. Let us therefore set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As we come together as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, let us clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We will forgive even as the Lord has forgiven each of us. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning, we were reminded through the title of the organ prelude that we depend upon your mercy. With our brothers and sisters and you across the ages, Lord, we pray, have mercy upon us, O Lord. We are sinners. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to come with open hands to give you our full worship, not so much to come to receive a word to get us through the week, but rather to come to give of ourselves knowing that when we do that, it is then that your spirit can work in us. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. As we gather for worship today, I want to encourage you to take a moment and share a word of greeting, a word of peace and grace with others who are here today.
we have the opportunity to participate with Wesleyan churches around the world in uh, what they're calling a community Bible experience. And uh, this is a, a, a program uh, during the season of Lent where we're reading through the New Testament. And we'd love to have you participate. I assume that uh, at least some of you have had the opportunity to read through the New Testament from cover to cover. And uh, this, is, this experience is a little bit different. The, the books are, are ordered differently than is typically found in our Bible. They're placed in more chronological order. And so it begins with Luke and moves to Acts and then on through other passages. Uh, for that reason, we have created a, a bookmark that uh, gives you the readings for each day, and those are on the back table. Please feel free to take one of those with you today. If we run out, we will print more and have them available for next Sunday. We begin this on Ash Wednesday, which is March 5th, so we have a little bit of time before we start. Uh, if you would, They have put together a Bible that has these readings in it, and the Bible is arranged as the readings will take place. It, the campus store is selling those if you would like to purchase one of those, a small New Testament. Uh, and uh, they also will have some bookmarks up there as well. Uh, one of the ideas that came to me uh, this morning was we might be able to, uh, to send a daily email to you with the readings. Now, I'm going to volunteer someone who knows how to do that to do it because I don't know how to do that. But, um, but I think we can probably figure that out if there's an interest in that. So... If you're interested, you can send a note to uh, the church office or to one of the pastors, and uh, we'll see if we can put that together. But we would love uh, a great number of people in our congregation and, and in the wider community to, uh, to read through the New Testament during the season of Lent. I think it's a very powerful experience in which we are invited to participate. There are, we are still collecting uh, for our faith promise cards. We are getting close to our goal of 30,000. And uh, if you haven't yet turned in your card, I encourage you to do so in the next few weeks. And uh, that God would nudge all of us to take some steps of faith in, uh, in what we are uh, asking of him during this faith promise giving. Uh, also, you'll notice that there are a number of prayer concerns. And we continue to pray, especially for Ruth Hutton's family. Her services yesterday. And for Steve Castor's family, whose services will be this coming weekend with visitation on Friday, the funeral on Saturday at 10 o'clock here at the church, and that information is in the bulletin. I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Gracious God, Our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed by you. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am... Honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob 
and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me and let's sing the doxology as the ushers come forward to collect our morning tithes and offerings. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, help us never to forget that everything that we have belongs to you. And I pray that you would give us hearts of gratitude, whatever our circumstances. Help us to give with an open hand, knowing that in your arithmetic, our gifts will be multiplied to the furthering of your kingdom. And we thank you in your name. Amen.
So we offer our prayers together to God. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we know that you hear us when we pray. And today we come to pray for those among us and those connected to us who are are struggling with a deep sense of need. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today. We think of Ruth Hutton's family and Steve Castor's family and others whose grief may be from some time past but is still so real. And we pray for your comforting spirit in each of them. We pray today, Father, for all who are struggling with injury or disease, impending surgery or treatments, all of the other kinds of difficulties that come because our bodies are not perfect. We pray for Donna and Bill and for John and for Bev and Edna and Linda for Micah, for Bonnie, for Crystal, for Bill, for Emily, and for others who are weighing upon us this morning. We pray that each one would know your healing grace We pray for each other as we work through life's disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, and uncertainty about the future. All of the the unknown that causes us to worry, fear, doubt. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, through your loving kindness, help us to see your goodness that at times is difficult for us to see. And we pray that you will lead and guide and that we will have confidence that you go before us. We pray for our relationships. We pray for, maybe more accurately, the unresolved conflicts in our relationships. We pray for the miraculous presence of your Spirit that you will help us to find a healthy, right way to patience, mercy, to truth, to hope, forgiveness. Give us grace to be to one another what you created us to be. We pray for the burdens of our world. We pray for those leaders of government who truly desire justice and righteousness but struggle to be able to see it happen. We pray for those leaders who are enamored with greed and power. In every setting, we pray, Father, that you will work miraculously as only you can to bring peace in the midst of conflict and hope in the midst of despair. And we think especially of people who are innocents in the battles between nations or groups of people. We ask for your mercy. We pray for our brothers and sisters, so many of whom live in places of the world where they are at risk for following you. Give them courage, strength, 
protection. May their witness inspire us about our walk with you. Father, continue to turn us from self-centered living to Christ-centered living. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in this world and make us willing servants wherever you may need us. Use us to touch others' lives. Use us to be instruments of hope, instruments of peace, instruments of your love. We pray this through Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt." Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. This is the word of the Lord.
service them, nothing else will do. To make sure you're getting the genuine, the original overhead door, look for the red ribbon. And I'm not trying to sell you an overhead door. I think that's what ours is. I guess it's okay. But what intrigued me as I was thinking about that advertisement was, uh, first of all, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a house where all the doors open up with garage door openers. Uh, They go up instead of sideways. That seems like a lot of fun to me. But also because it strikes me as, as a sort of a metaphor of our lives, that every day there are all kinds of doors that open up for us. Every morning when we awaken from sleep, we have before us All kinds of open doors. And sometimes we see them and sometimes we miss them. But they're there. And for people who are followers of Jesus, we have all kinds of spiritual doors that are open before us. Doors of opportunity to to share Christ, to be a witness for Christ, to be a presence for Christ. I think this is what is in Paul's mind As he comes to the end of 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian people have have been important to him. He went there, he preached the gospel, he helped bring the first people to Jesus, he established the church, he spent more than a year with them, and then he moved on as he typically did, onto the next city and repeated the same thing. And after his leaving, he began to hear stories of stuff going on in Corinth and they didn't please him. There were problems in the church. It shouldn't surprise any of us. I mean, all the letters of the New Testament, pretty much, are written to churches because they're having trouble. It's kind of what happens when you put human beings together in the same place. We create trouble. And it's hard to believe that this church might be a part of that, but sometimes, even us, uh, we have trouble. But you put people together, you're going to have trouble. And so Paul writes this letter to them addressing some of these problems. Some of them are actually pretty serious issues. And he gets to the end and he says, I really would love to come and visit with you. I want to talk with you face to face. Partly, I think, because some of these issues are hard to deal with in writing. You know what it feels like when you get an email from someone dealing with something difficult? You're looking at it thinking, now, what did they mean by that? Because we can't see their eyes, we can't hear the tone of voice. There are things, nonverbal communication, that, that communicate a lot to us that we don't get in just a printed page. And so Paul has this in mind. But I also think he wants to come and encourage them and help them and let them know that he cares for them. He wants to come and visit them. And he says, but I can't. I'm in Ephesus and I can't come to you right now. And it's not because he's in chains. It's not because he's a prisoner of the, of the Romans. It's not because he doesn't have the funds to travel. It's not because he's afraid to travel. He travels all over the world. He says, the reason I can't come to you now is because God has opened an effective door of ministry for me here. And I need to stay. And if I stay here, I can't come there. It's one of the, the principles of, of the open doors that come to us. If you, if you walk through one door, it means you're not going to walk through another door. We can't walk through them at the same time. And that, that makes sense to us. And yet, how often do we struggle with trying to figure out which door to walk through? On the one hand, we have God's door that is wide open to us. And on the other hand, we have the doors that we have created, the doors that we want. And we get this tug of war going. If we're honest, we're pretty sure we know that's the door to take. But we really want to take this one. 
And because we want that one so bad, we'll do anything we can to try to open that door to make us feel better about doing it. You know, we're trying to pick the lock. We're we're trying to, to find a key. We may even break the door down to get through it. And all the while, God's door is standing wide open. And the reality is, sometimes when you walk through God's door, it means we're not going to walk through the door that we want to walk through. And somehow we have to believe that God's door is better than our door. I suspect there are things that maybe come into your mind when you've had those experiences. For me, one of the thoughts that came to me was when I was in high school and uh, my senior year, preparing to go off to Bible college in Pennsylvania. We lived in Indiana. And my parents threw a wrench into those plans by joining mission organization and being asked to move to Oregon. And through um, coercion and uh, long discussions, I ended up going to Oregon too instead of to Pennsylvania where all my friends were going. And quite frankly, I moped and pouted for a while about it. And I was upset with God. What are you doing to me? Why is this happening? This is wrong. And I complained and whined and I probably wasn't the best person to be around for a while. And I ended I had no idea where I was going to go to school. And I, this was the summer before school started in the fall. And I ended up at George Fox and didn't know the first thing about George Fox and I didn't know a person there. But it didn't take very long for me to realize that was God's open door, not just for my parents, but for me. And that was the best thing in the world. In fact, I would tell you that decision saved my life because I wasn't ready to go to Bible school. I wasn't ready to do that. It, it would have, I'm sure it would have ended in disaster without something miraculous of God happening. I needed the time at this place to figure out my life and God's place in my life. And it literally saved me. But at the time, this door standing wide open for me is not the way I wanted to go. I wanted to break down this door. One of the reasons we struggle with God's door, quite frankly, is because when we look at it and we peek through it, we realize this is going to be hard. God typically leads us to open doors that, are, that include some difficulty, some discomfort on our part. And we have this mindset that says, if we walk through God's door, that means life will be easy. And everything will go perfectly. And, and, and we don't have to worry about stuff anymore. Because after all, we're doing what God wants us to do. And when you do what God wants you to do, he eliminates all the problems of life. And if that's your mindset, then you haven't read the scriptures. And you haven't read much about church history either. And Paul says, I'm staying here because there's this this great door that God has opened for effective ministry and many people are opposing me. And he almost says it as though, of course they are. Great church father Chrysostom says about this passage, of course Paul would connect walking through this open door and and. Opposition, Because when you walk through an open door of God's, you're walking right into enemy territory. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. And the end evil one is not going to let that happen without opposition. And Paul stays in Ephesus. And we don't know exactly what kind of opposition he's facing then. But it seems like as the, as the time goes along, it just intensifies even more. And you have to wonder if he thought, he had days where he thought, Maybe I should have taken the other door. But we often think walking through God's door is going to mean life is going to be easy, and it's usually not. Paul writes to Philippians and says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my chains are actually advancing the gospel. I'm sitting here in the cell, and I've got guards with me, and they're a captive audience. I can tell them about Jesus all day long. And when the next guards come in, I tell them about Jesus all day long. And as, as the church here is seeing what's happening in the, in the witness here and among the, the soldiers, they're getting more and more courage to, to be a witness for God too. And my chains are the source of that. 
And this open door to sacrifice, to suffer for Christ is leading to great good for the kingdom. And walking through the open doors will often lead us to difficult places. Because it leads us to people who have needs. I mean, what kind of ministry is it to people who have no needs? There is no ministry. I mean, what do they need? What, what possibly could we do? Ministry is about people who have needs. And when you encounter people who have needs, you're dealing with people who may be opposed to God. They, they may struggle with seeing God the way we do. Lifestyle issues, the way they're different the way that we see them. But those are the very places we need to be. Isn't that where Jesus is? Jesus could have come and made nice with all the religious leaders and he would have lived a long time and he would have had a prosperous life as we view it in this world. He could have done that. But that's not why he comes. He steps through the door of time not to placate the religious leaders but to be a presence of the very God himself. And where do we find him? We find him with people that nobody else wants to be with. Scripture often calls them tax collectors and sinners. That's a nice way of talking about gamblers, murderers, thieves, adulterers, prostitutes. All the folks that the religious leaders avoid, Jesus embraces. Because they're the people who have the needs. They're the people who who have a want, a desire in their hearts for something more of life. And they recognize their lives are a mess. And they follow Jesus. And a lot of these people are the very ones on whom Jesus establishes and founds the kingdom. The most unlikely people in the world. But they're the people who have the needs. And you go to the place where people have needs. Those are the doors that God opens. And that's why it's hard. We often walk through doors and we see God do miraculous things because we're in places where miraculous things can be done and need to be done. And he's calling us to walk through doors that may be difficult and hard. They're going to stretch us. They're going to ask us for more than just, hey, I hope life is easy and simple. Those are the doors he opens because those are the places of need. The places where the church needs to be. The places where his people can do something about changing the world. What he's really asking of us is is to be a presence for Christ in this world of need. I think almost every door of opportunity that we walk through is just about being that presence. And most of the time, it's going to start in small places. Now, I have in the back of my mind this idea that, okay, Lord, if I walk through this door that I can see is going to be some difficulties, it better be pretty spectacular on the other side. If I'm going to put up with some, some opposition, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to deal with hard things, then I expect when I walk through it that, wow, this is going to be awesome. And most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, the open doors are, are not about things that change the world. They're about things that influence lives. One life here, two lives there. That person, this person, that circumstance, this circumstance. It's the small moments that make the difference. God isn't asking us to change the world. He's asking us to be a presence in that person's life, in that situation. And that will often take place in our homes. A lot of the doors of ministry are in those natural places right in our homes where people who know us best watch us respond to life's difficulties. And we don't always respond the way we should, but hopefully, through the grace of God, they're seeing Jesus in our responses. The places where we work, 
where we create a different set of expectations about what it means to be a Christian than what people are often exposed to in the greater media. That we become an influence in our dorms, apartments, classrooms. Influencing a life at a time, a place at a time. And the results of that are up to God. God takes that and he does with it whatever he wants to do, however little or much. That's not our responsibility. We're just called to step through the door and to be the presence. You might have noticed in the bulletin an announcement that said that in the next two weeks, while the college is on break, we need some people to help with some children's Sunday school classes and children's church. I was looking at that announcement this week and it struck me in light of what we're talking about this morning that right here is a door of opportunity for us. It doesn't seem like much. Just an hour in children's church. It's an hour with some little kids. But of course, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. They're important to the kingdom. And we have the opportunity to to influence little ones, even if just a couple of weeks. And it seems to me that if if we were committed to walking through the doors that are open before us, the problem wouldn't be we're pulling teeth to try to get people to fill in. The problem would be, what do we do with all these people who want to help? Who have seen this open door and said, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that. It's those kinds of doors that seem so simple and quite frankly, sometimes insignificant that God uses for miraculous things. The people that we admire in this world, whether it's people that we know personally or people that we've read about, heard about, listened to, people we admire, I guarantee you every one of them would tell you there was this person in my life who stepped through a door for me that seemed insignificant at the time, but God used it. And there are probably multiple people in their lives. And you think about your own life and the people in your life who have been that for you, and God is calling us to be that for them. And it really doesn't have anything to do with our gifts. And we... Gifts are important, and we want to use our gifts that God's given us. But ultimately, open doors are just about, here's a need, I need to step through this door. And we sometimes use, our, use gifts as, as an excuse. Well, I can't do that because I don't really have gifts with children. We can love them. We can support the people who do have gifts with children. I don't have gifts with junior high youth. Well, we can love them. We can support the people who do have the gifts with junior high youth. I I don't really, I don't feel comfortable going to the nursing home. Well, a lot of people don't feel comfortable, but you do it anyway. Well, I don't know what the, what it will be, but there. It's not about I'm comfortable with this. It's not about those are my gifts. This, the door is open. It's right in front of me. I need to walk through it. Sometimes people ask, how do we discern God's open doors? How do we know if this door is open or not? I've asked that question myself. I think the more I ponder this, that that question belies our mindset about how we view God's open doors. And I think for a lot of us, Instead of viewing them like Paul does, we view them sort of like we're a contestant on the old TV game show, Let's Make a Deal. How many of you have seen the show, Let's Make a Deal? Okay, not very many of you. All right, well, this is a show that was on when I was a child, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And um, uh, Monty Hall, actually, I discovered this week it is still on. I did not even know that. It's on. You can catch it sometime in, in the morning before Price is Right or something. But 
People come dressed in these crazy costumes. They're trying to get the attention of the host, which in my day was Monty Hall. And they're trying to dress in as crazy a way as they can that they will get his attention and he will choose them to be a contestant on the show. And he chooses a contestant. They come over and they're all excited, jumping all around. You know how people are in these game shows. And, uh, you know, they're dressed in these crazy outfits. And he, he offers them something. Here's $50. Now, do you want to trade that $50 for what's under this box that Jay is standing next to with the tray? Or do, you want to, or do you want to trade it for the curtain where Carol Merrill is standing? And people are agonizing over the decision. And the crowd's screaming and yelling what to do. And, you know, I'll take the curtain. And when they open the curtain, it might be a new car. It might be a donkey eating hay. You just never know. And you get to the end of the game and people, they choose two contestants to go for the big deal of the day. And before them are three doors. And the famous lines, you want what's behind door number one or what's behind door number two or what's behind door number three. And they have to pick. And you can see them agonizing. I suspect many of them are praying. Oh, I hope I choose the right door. Help me choose the right door. I want to choose the right door. I don't know which door is the right door. Which door do I choose? And everyone is screaming at them what they think is the right door. Like they have any idea other than anybody else. But they all think they know. And they're agonizing over what's the right door to choose. I think we, we see God's doors like that. As though it's this agonizing decision about, should I, should I do, what ministry should I do? How should I help? What's the need? And all the while that we're agonizing about this door, we're standing right in front of it. It's right here. And we make it so much more complicated than it is. The open door is often that person has a need. I think I can do something about it. I think I can be a presence of Christ. I think I can step in and help them. There's a circumstance where I see a need. I I think I I can be Christ's presence in that need. And yes, there's balance. We talked last week about Sabbath. We can't do everything and we shouldn't try to do everything. But I think most of the time our struggle is less that we are walking through too many doors that God has opened as opposed to too few. The doors that get us in trouble are the doors, I think, most of the time that we open. Those doors that we're trying to unlock, those doors that we're trying to, to crash open, And all the while, God's doors are standing right in front of us, wide open. John Wesley was uh, described himself as a proper Anglican. He uh, he grew up in the Anglican Church. Everything about his life was the church, and you did things in proper order, in the right way, in the right places, the right time. And even after he opened his heart to Christ and his heart was strangely warmed and he began his ministry of, of salvation by faith, everything he did was in the church. And he, in fact, he said, I felt as though someone who might have come to Christ outside of the church, actually, it was, I think I would have thought of that as almost sin because it's not in the church. And God put George Whitfield in his life. And George Whitfield, who was another preacher, had a different perspective. He believed you go where the people are. And he preached out in the fields and, and out to the miners and every place he could find. And he kept badgering Wesley about doing this. And Wesley was resistant, so resistant. And then finally, one day, he realized this was an open door from God. And, and this is what he wrote in his journal. At four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile 
and proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. And he went out and found a, a little field, a little knoll in the, in the field, and he stood up and he began to preach. And 3,000 people showed up. And for pretty much the rest of his ministry, it involved preaching in fields, the entrances to mines, streets of cities, the squares of towns, anywhere he could, Wesley would preach. Now, this created difficulties for him because people didn't like it. Proper Anglicans didn't like it. And when he was outside, they could oppose him in ways that they couldn't inside. So standing out in the street corner, they had no problem throwing rotten fruit at him or rocks or beating him or dragging him by his hair around town. Things that they would never do if he had stayed in the church. He put himself at risk. But scholars will tell us that there are a few essential dynamics that God used to to bring about what we now know as the Methodist movement. And one of those was Wesley's willingness to step through that door to preach in the fields, in the streets, in the mines. I'm convinced God has placed a door of opportunity of great effective work in front of us. Every one of us. What's keeping us from stepping through it? Does it feel too dangerous? Too demanding? Does it feel too menial? Too simple? there in front of us. We step through it. Father, in this moment of silence, speak to us. Thank you for the, the open doors of effective ministry that you place before us. Give us courage to trust you enough to step through them, to see, to listen. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand with me for the closing hymn.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.